There are important moments in the life of every church. Important moments that matter a lot. There's events that take place uh, like weddings, funerals, uh, baptisms. Uh, sometimes there's a burning the mortgage time. Uh, I remember when we did that up in Altaloma several years ago. That was an exciting time to burn the mortgage. And we're debt-free, you know. Uh, there's exciting times, important moments of worship. A lot of times that happens around the holidays. It happens in, in communion services. This morning is an important moment in the life of our church. It's an important moment in the life of our church. Because this morning... In the plan of God, and as we have been moving forward, we have asked two of our men who have been serving as deacons, faithfully serving in ministry for many years, and we've asked them to step up and join together with our elders and to be a part of our leadership team, and they've agreed to do that, and we're going to conclude our time this morning by laying hands on them and praying for them. But this is an exciting moment in my mind. It's an exciting moment in the life of our church. Every church needs to be led by godly men who are committed to shepherding the flock. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk you through some scriptures that talk to us about the role of elders in a local church. A lot of people misunderstand this. There's a lot of confusion. And so I just want to look at some scriptures together and kind of walk through this and hopefully answer some questions. You know, what is an elder? What's an elder do? How do these guys get chosen? And, and some of those kinds of things. You may have other questions, and I may not get to all of them. But I want you to come with me this morning to Acts chapter 14. And as you open your Bible to Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. How many total missionary journeys were there? Three. So this is the first. And we're going to cycle back in just a moment to chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas set off on their first missionary journey. But Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and they're traveling through what's today Turkey, what then was known as Asia Minor. And Paul and Barnabas are dropping into these synagogues and proclaiming the Messiah, Jesus, to the Jewish people in those synagogues. And so as we drop in to chapter 14, it's kind of a strategic time in Paul's life. Uh, in chapter 14 of the book of Acts in verse 19 it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Some people believe Paul was actually dead and resurrected. I don't believe that. I kind of think if Dr. Luke wanted us to know that, he would have said something different than supposing. Uh, anyway, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, going right back to where those people were that stoned him. Does that seem kind of bizarre to you? I think I would have kept going the other way. Verse 22 says, They were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, let me just stop there for a second. I've had conversations with people who tell me that it was not God's plan for there to be elders in every church. The plan was for there to be elders in every city. Because the typical city, it's supposed, this is a guess, not 
counterfactual, it's supposed that there would have been many churches in a city. And so there were many elders needed in a city because there were many churches. This text says there were elders plural in what? Every church. And so that's an important just little side note that drops in there. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed then through Pisidia, came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And I find it fascinating that Dr. Luke, who records this, uses the same word to say that Paul and Barnabas commended these new elders that they had appointed in the, in the churches. They commended these Men to the Lord. And then Dr. Luke records, they were, Paul and Barnabas, when they left Antioch to go on the first missionary journey, they were what? Commended to the Lord. And so the same exact thing that happened to Paul and Barnabas when they launched out on their first missionary journey is what Paul and Barnabas are doing in the churches in appointing elders in every church. And so if you go back to chapter 13, just turn your page and go back to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. What did it look like when Paul and Barnabas were commended to the Lord and launched out into ministry of their first missionary journey? Dr. Luke tells us exactly in the first four verses of Acts chapter 13. Now the word Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul is who? Paul. Okay, make the connection now. This is before he becomes Paul. He's called Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they were sent out. And so this whole idea of Paul and Barnabas commending elders In the churches, they were doing the same thing that happened back here. They were ministering in the church, and these men that were ministering, pretty brand new in many of the churches, right? This wasn't something that was years in in the process. But they prayed, they fasted, they prayed, and laid hands on them and, and sent them out. So I want you to notice this morning, first of all, that the call of elders is God's doing. It's not our doing, it's God's doing. It's not something we do, it's something God does. Uh, Vet read for us earlier this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, If anyone aspires to the office of a bishop, an elder, an overseer, interchangeable words, if anyone aspires to do that, the Scripture says he desires a good thing. That's a good thing, that's a good ambition. That's a worthy ambition to consider, to have a desire, to be one who God would bless and use in the leadership in a local church. I remember years ago, I've told you my story at the age of 13 in a chapel at Brethren Junior High School. It was on that occasion that I believed that God was calling me and wanted me to be a pastor. And so from the age of 13 on, that was kind of my focus. But there was this little speed bump in high school. I was 17 or 18. Um, I'm pretty clear on, you know, I I remember I was sitting on the front porch 
at, at Andrea's folks' house in Long Beach and having a conversation with my youth pastor, Roy Roberts. And I was struggling with, is this interest I have in being a pastor, is this my thing or is this God's thing? Is this really what God wants or is this what Roy wants? And, and Roy and Roy, the two Roys, we were in conversation talking about this. And I never forget one of the one of the words that Roy spoke to me was First Timothy three one. If you aspire, it's a good thing. And I found that very helpful in my growing and learning process on my journey to becoming a pastor. It's a good thing. And it's interesting in Titus chapter one, if you look at Titus chapter one, which is the other passage we want to kind of flip back and forth with this morning. In in Titus chapter one, first Timothy, second Timothy, there's Titus. In verse 5, Paul says to Titus, this young preacher that he's assigned to this church, Paul says to Titus in verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so part of the process for Titus of setting the church in order involved doing what? Appointing leadership. To appoint those who would serve as elders. Every church needs to be led by godly men who are committed to shepherding God's flock. It's interesting to me, I'm going to just keep flipping back and forth, and you're going to find this is, this is not Roy's normal style, right? Roy usually camps out in one passage all morning. But in Acts chapter 20, there's a fascinating passage that emphasizes for me the fact that it's God's call that determines elders, not me as the pastor or us. God ultimately is the one who calls. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on a ship. He's moving toward Jerusalem. And he gets off the ship and gets on a beach and calls the elders from the city of Ephesus to come and meet with him on the beach. He tells them it's going to be the last time they're going to see him. They're never going to see him again. This is kind of a goodbye uh, time, And he says to the elders in Acts 20, beginning in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who made them overseers? The Holy Spirit. That's just so bold. It just, just kind of leaped out at me as I was reflecting on all these passages this last week. Um, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Just a little aside on that passage, by the way, um, and maybe this is too much English grammar for you, but when it says he purchased with his own blood, the word he is a pronoun, right? Anybody still remember third grade or maybe that was... So a pronoun does what? It's, it, what's a pronoun do? It stands in the place of a noun. And every pronoun has what's called a ooh, an antecedent. And the antecedent is the word that the pronoun stands for. How many of you have I just lost? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. So, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but because we're here, it just, I think it's an important thing. He says, he purchased with his own blood. Who's the He. Look at your Bible. Who's the he? What's the nearest noun that precedes the pronoun he? God. And so it says, God, he did what? 
purchased with his own blood. Whose blood? What's the text say? God's blood. Oh, so if you're, if you're ever engaged in conversation on the front porch with two people on, and they're talking to you about Jesus not being God, this is a great passage. That's just a little aside, okay? Because it says God purchased with His own blood. That's amazing. I know, I, I digress. I'm not supposed to do that. Um, he purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I, what's the next word? I commend you. Here's that word commend again. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That word commend is a fascinating word. It's a word that um, th- it's a word that you would use if you were to go into the bank with a check. And you're going to take this check and have them place it in your account. And in our language we call that a deposit. You're making a deposit of the, your check with the bank. That's exactly what the word commend means. You are depositing these elders. Paul was depositing these elders, not at the bank, but where? God's grace. God's grace. So I commend you. And so the, the whole idea of elders isn't our doing. It isn't our thinking. It's all God's doing. The call of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God's choosing. The call of elders in our church is God's doing. And I just want to acknowledge that. By the way, I'm going to go off on all kinds of asides if I keep doing this. Eleven months ago, yeah, eleven months ago this weekend, um, I started preaching every Sunday. So I've been doing this for almost a year, right? And I know you're tired of me and you're anxious for a new pastor. That's okay. Um, I want you to know that in the time that it's been my privilege to serve as pastor of this church, I could not be more um, happy, proud, thrilled, and excited with the role that our elders have played in our church. They've been nothing but supportive, nothing but helpful, nothing but encouraging. Um, I just want you to know we have a group of godly men that I'm grateful for. And I'm grateful that we're going to add to that mix. Uh, they're grateful, too, that uh, we're going to extend that a little bit and involve a couple more men uh, in the leadership of our church. Every church needs to be led by godly men committed to shepherding the flock. And we have those kind of men uh, here in our church. And, and just speaking for myself, uh, I'm really grateful. So I want you to notice, secondly, not only that the call of the elders is God's doing, but secondly, the character of the elders is the criteria for service. We use a lot of different um, means for selecting and choosing people for leadership in the world in which you and I live. Uh, most of the time, it's a popularity contest. Who's the most popular? Uh, sometimes it comes down to uh, career choice. We choose leaders based on their career choice. 
We have a tendency in our culture to think more highly of someone who's a doctor and a lawyer than someone who's maybe a shopkeeper, a teacher, um, a salesman, whatever. You know, God doesn't have this strata, right? God sees us all the same. Uh, we, tend to, we tend to look more highly on someone who's very successful and has a lot of money. And, and money became, becomes a determinant of who we choose. Well, God's system is totally different. God's system is totally different. God doesn't look at all that stuff. Uh, well, if you're familiar with the story of King David and Goliath, that whole story kind of boils down to man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that whole choice of David to be king. And so as you come to 1 Timothy 3, the passage that uh, Vet, Vet read for us earlier, um, you look at this list of qualifications. And you have uh, things like, well, it starts right off and says in verse 2, an overseer, same word as bishop, by the way, our English word bishop and the word overseer, the same idea is based on a Greek word that sounds like scopus. To look out over. And so an overseer, an elder, a bishop, oftentimes those words are kind of interchangeable in, in the scriptures and different translations. He says the, elders must, the overseer must be above reproach. And that's the umbrella over which all these other qualities fall. And so in your mind, when you hear the words above reproach, what does that suggest? Well, he's not perfect, right? I think we... Except that is true. But the idea of above reproach, anyone have a translation that says blameless there? Some of the translations use the word blameless. The idea of the word in the original language is you can't put your hands, there's nothing you can grasp with your hands. There's, there's no evidence. If you were to drag that man into court and accuse him, there's no evidence. He's not perfect, he doesn't live a perfect life, but he's above reproach. Or blameless. And then, and then Paul goes down this list. And this is a scary list. Isn't it? When I first began talking with Vet and Eddie about their willingness to serve as elders, uh, you know, <laughs> and this has been my life experience anytime I talk to anyone about their willingness to serve as an elder. It's like, whoa, time out. You know, <laughs> have you seen the list in First Timothy 3? Yeah, I'm sort of kind of familiar with it. Um, that's a high standard. That's why Vet just spoke out. That's a high standard. Above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, balanced life, prudent, makes good decisions. He's respectable, gives respect, receives respect. Um, hospitable, literally is open to strangers, welcoming of strangers. Um, able to teach. All of our elders probably do not have what I would call the gift of teaching. Probably not all of them have the gift, of, the spiritual gift of teaching. But they have another gift mix that enables them and empowers their teaching. They're able to teach. And, and so that's what Paul is looking for. Uh, he says they're, they're not addicted to wine. One of the translations says they don't sit alongside the wine. They don't spend a lot of time. They're, they're sober. Um, he goes on and says they're free, the, not to pugnate. What's that word pugnacious suggest to you? Fighting. Not, not quick to get in a fight, not quick to get hostile, um, peaceable. Yeah. Um, he goes on from there and he says gentle, peaceable, 
free from the love of money. Money's not a priority. Money's not the pursuit of his life. There's other things that have higher priority. Um, he's one who manages his own household well. So if he's married and is the husband of one wife and then he has children, if he manages, the, manages them well, uh, keeping his children under control, uh, he, he knows how to manage his own family, then the assumption is he'll know how to manage the household of God. Um, not a new convert. What happens when new converts get pushed forward too fast? Oh, exactly what Paul warns against, not conceited. Um, they have a good reputation with those outside the church. They'll not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. When you're looking for men to lead the church, you're looking for men who evidence these kind of qualities. That there's a, there's a standard that God has established. And that standard is not how much money they make, how successful they are in business, how good-looking they are. Uh, you know, the standard is what? Their character. The kind of man that they are. The kind of life that they live. Do they have a good reputation? You know, do the, do the people out in the community, their neighbors speak well of him? In the business community, do, are there people who think he's kind of shady and isn't always honest? You want someone who has a good re reputation here within these four walls, but also out there. And so it's the character of men that God is looking for. The character of their lives that, that leads and guides and directs. Every church needs to be led by godly men who are committed to shepherding the flock. It starts with the call of God. It's God's work, not ours. The, their character becomes the standard we're looking at. And then I want you to come to 1 Peter chapter 5 and look at the charge that Peter gives to, to elders. I think one of the first um, elders meeting that I led when I first became pastor almost a year ago, uh, we spent a few minutes in this passage in 1 Peter 5 because it's a, a critical, critical passage. And there's three big ideas here that, that help me get a handle on what is it that God expects elders to be up to? What is it that they should be wrapping their hearts and their hands around in the life of the church? And so Peter begins in 1 Peter 5 and says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Paul was an elder, and, or Peter in this text, Peter, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And then the first thing he says to these elders is they're to do what? Shepherd the flock. If you have the original King James translation, and there's one or two others that say feed the flock. And that's kind of an acceptable idea, but shepherding the flock involves a lot more, doesn't it? Than simply feeding. Um, he says we're to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? That's Jesus, there you go. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I can't verse 4 a lot. <laughs> That's a great promise. 
And so there's three big ideas in, in Peter's charge to these elders. The first one is shepherd the flock. What do shepherds do? Well, they do a lot of stuff. And there might be things that come to your mind. But I back up and ask the question a different way. If, if I was a shepherd with a literal, literal flock of those little woolly creatures, the question I would be asking myself, what do sheep need? They need guidance. What else do they need? Protection. What else do they need? Food. See, sheep, sheep are interesting creatures. And um, I heard for many years that sheep were dumb, which didn't settle with me when I read the Scriptures and I was being compared to a sheep often. But sheep aren't dumb. I choose to say sheep are dependent. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep have a tendency to stray. <laughs> they get lost. And so a sheep who's straying and gets lost needs what? Needs a shepherd to do what? Guidance. Bring them back. Sheep have a tendency not only to stray and get lost, but they have a tendency to get sick. They need a shepherd who will take care of them. They have a tendency to get wounded. They need a shepherd to take care of them. Sheep are susceptible to... Um, predators. What would be some common predators if you were a small little woolly animal? Wolves, bears, coyotes, bobcats, all those kinds of animals. So if you were a little woolly sheep and you were being attacked by a uh, coyote, say, what is your first line of defense? Run. How fast are you going to run on those little sheep legs? You're toast. You're done. And so, a sheep needs a shepherd. Sheep are timid. They're fearful of water that's in motion. They need a still, calm pond. How do they find that still, calm pond? Need a shepherd. Sheep don't know how to forage. You got horses and cows and turn them loose in a pasture, they're good days. Sheep don't know how to do that. Sheep eat the grass around their feet and they're done. They don't know. Yes, I agree, that does sound kind of dumb, but you could blame that on the person who created sheep, which I don't recommend. So when the sheep is done eating the grass at his feet and needs more food, what's he need? Shepherd. And so those ideas, if you plug those back into Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and so on. Uh, King David exactly parallels the needs of sheep with the care of our heavenly shepherd. And so I carry that into this passage, and I think the first responsibility of elders is to shepherd the flock. Guidance direction. If you read, if you were paying attention to the Acts 20 passage I read, Paul talked about the fact that uh, wolves are going to come in. Wolves are going to penetrate the flock. The elders are responsible for protecting, guarding, caring for the flock. Uh, Peter goes on. He says, not only shepherd the flock of God, but he, the next phrase he uses is exercising oversight. That there's a, a role of leadership. There's a role of, of future direction. 
And when our elders meet together, we talk about calendar, we talk about the future, and what do we envision in the future. And, and yes, it's a little difficult now because we're expecting a new pastor and there's going to be some new motion and some new movement. But even in spite of that, we're committed to looking forward and planning ahead and, and plotting direction. And we do that together. You know, since I'm there and I'm going to digress again, Some pastors have the idea that their role as the pastor of the church is to be the final authority, to have the final say, to be the one in charge. And that goes totally counter to what we're reading this morning. It goes totally counter. Um, The role of a pastor is to be together with that group of men, that group of elders, and to make decisions and to give leadership to the flock together. That's what the Scriptures teach. And I've, I've met pastors, I've known pastors who felt like you know, their authority was being diminished because they had to share it with others and they needed to be in charge. That's not what the Scriptures teach. Roy's not here to be in charge. I'm here to lead, and it's different. And we lead as a group of elders together. We make decisions together. And it gets a little more difficult the more elders you have because I believe uh, in leading by consensus. We're all on the same page. We all agree. And if, and if there's four of us and one says, no, I disagree, then we're going to wait on God to show us the direction. And now we're going to add two more. There's going to be six. And uh, that's going to make it a little more interesting. But our commitment together is to wait on God, exercise that leadership, and to, and to do that together. I'm not the final authority. People always, want, people always think, you know, if the pastor stands up and says it, it must be true. Be careful, you know. And you have your program that you want to promote in the church, and I need to get the pastor to talk about it, because if he speaks, it'll happen. And I, I kind of rebel against that idea, but uh, I understand where it comes from. So he says, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion... What's that word compulsion mean? Force, pressure. There's some, somebody pushing and pressing. Um, I have not pushed Eddie and Vet into this decision that they've agreed to serve. I have not pushed them at all. In fact, I got a little impatient waiting for both of them to come around and finally make a decision. Um, I, I got a little impatient, but I was waiting. God's timing is always... Thank you. It is always best. So they're not, they're not serving because they're under force or pressure, but voluntarily. And I love the next phrase. According to the will of God. It's all about God's will. It's all about God's will. What is You know, I think I stood here 11 months ago and we talked about that. It's not what Roy wants. It's not what the elders want. The bottom line is it's all about what? It's not what the elders want. The bottom line is it's all about what? And that ought to be the way we're praying. What God wants. God, who do you and want that ought to be, be the way we're praying? God, what do you want us to be doing as a church in this community? God, what do you want us to be doing as a church and looking for opportunity to engage? Where should we be active and looking for opportunity to engage the community that they might all about God's will? Not for sordid gain, not looking for personal gain or benefit. Yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, and that kind of speaks back to rising of oversight. But, verse says, proving to be examples to the flock. 
One of the important roles that elders play, because they are men of character, is they become role models and examples. And so my prayer, and my hope always is, that the men that God places in leadership of churches that I'm a part of, that those men will be models and examples to the others in the congregation. That was Peter's ambition. That was Peter's prayer as, as he reflected on this. So the call of someone to be an elder is, is all about God's work. It's all about God's doing. And, and the criteria that we use to determine who might become an elder has to do with character, who they are, the kind of man that he is. And then ultimately the charge of, of, of Peter in 1 Peter 5 uh, reminds us that this elder thing is a serious business. It's not something to enter into lightly because there's that task of shepherding and, and exercising leadership and being an example. Um, it's an important and a serious thing. So when I said all this and it's all said and done, every church needs to be led by godly men committed to shepherding the flock, the flock of God. So just as elders have responsibility, do members of the church have responsibilities in their relationship with those who serve as elders? Someone should be saying yes right there. Thank you. Um, the most important thing you can be doing uh, for our elders, for myself and the rest of our elders, the most important thing you can be doing is what? There you go. We're all on the same page. So somewhere on your weekly prayer list, you ought to have the names of our elders. You ought to be praying for us as a group, praying for us individually as you're praying for God's choice for a new pastor. Um, be praying um, that God would guard and protect us from the snares and traps of the evil one and that he give us, give us wisdom as we lead the church. In t- 1 Timothy 5, there's a little short passage that I don't have time to fully spend a whole lot of time with, but there's a couple of big ideas here. In terms of the responsibility of the church to those who are called as elders, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, he's putting things in order, and the first part of chapter 5 is a fascinating section about how to, how to care for widows in the church, how to meet their needs, how to care for them. And In verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So not only should they have honor, he said they should have double honor. I'm not sure exactly what that means. You might have to sort through that a little bit. I've got some thoughts on that. But uh, the idea of, of honor, that they're, they're respected, they're honored. Uh, especially those who work hard in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. What is that all about? Well, if you're in a position of leadership and you're in front of the, the, the group and you're leading, guess what? You become a target sometimes. You become a target sometimes. I had a, I had a plaque on my desk when I pastored in Sacramento. I wish I could remember where it came from. But it said, if the general gets too far ahead of the troops, he may be mistaken for the enemy. <laughs> And so there's a warning, there's a caution here that there, if there's going to be an accusation against the elders of the group or an elder, uh, Paul says 
that accusation shouldn't come except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So it's not just innuendo or hearsay, or, but there's, there's facts, there's evidence, and we've got two or three witnesses that can substantiate that. And on the basis of the witness of two or three witnesses, then uh, Paul goes on, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful. Fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. And so Paul is cautioning in the, in the, in the church's response to those in leadership you know, give them honor, give them respect, even double honor, whatever that suggests to you. But be cautious, on the other hand, about hearing accusations. Make sure there's evidence. Make sure there's proof. You know, there's many destructive things that divide churches. Many destructive things that divide churches and cause conflict in churches. And more times than not, it has to do with rumor, innuendo, unproven facts that cause division. And so my encouragement always is, if you, ha- if you have questions about what's going on, and you're not sure you understand what's going on, then the best thing you could do is ask. You know, I, I always tell people, if you don't know where you're going, follow someone who does. And it's kind of the same thing. If you're not sure what's going on and not sure what's happening and it's, you feel this equal, disequilibrium, then the best thing you could do is ask. You know, I've heard this. You know, I'm wondering about this. Ask. Um, I believe very, very much, and I've said this earlier, I believe very much in the godly character of the men that God has blessed our church with. And... Uh, They'll be open, they'll be honest, they'll answer questions the best of their ability. And uh, if they don't, they'll just blame it on me and send you to me and make me answer the question. So it'll, it'll all pan out in the end. So the most important thing you can do is pray. Um, do you respond to requests and opportunities to serve? If the elders are leading, I guess the question is, are you following? You know, leaders need followers and followers need leaders. That's the deal. Um, Are you careful to accuse? Do you always assume the best? Do you seek the truth? If you have questions, ask. Some of you might aspire to be an elder. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Don't be afraid of that. It's a good thing. You've got to work that out between you and the Lord, but that's a good thing. And my encouragement is, if you find yourself with that aspiration, whether it's kind of small or whether it's grown, um, you know, the most important thing to be involved in the church and places of service and places of ministry, um, because the scriptures talk about someone being proved. They've been active in ministry. They've, been, they've proven themselves. Um, that's a good thing. And so I, I encourage you to, to pursue that in your own heart and your own mind. Eddie and Vet, why don't you come up here and join me, the rest of our elders. Tim's not here this morning, but Ron is here. And uh, 
And I don't know if there's somebody that has a good, uh, good cell phone camera, but uh, I'd appreciate having a few pictures of our, of our time at this point in time. And so somebody up here near the front that has a good camera, a good phone camera, can take a few pictures and send them to me. I'd appreciate it. So before we, uh, we're going to commend Eddie and Vet to the Lord. We're going to deposit them with the Lord. But before I do that, I want to ask some uh, questions of them. And then I have three questions I want to ask of our church family. So, Vet and Eddie, these questions are for you. And with each question, I'd like you to answer simply yes to. Assuming yes I do is your answer. <laughs> so, Ed and Betty, do you believe that God has led and equipped you for the role of an elder in our church? Amen. Do you accept this role freely, without force or pressure? And then do you commit yourself this morning to serving Jesus and this flock with joy and passion as Jesus guides and enables you? Amen. And then these questions for our church family. And again, I'll ask you to respond the same way. Yes, I do. Do you believe this morning that God has prepared and equipped Vet and Eddie to serve our church family as elders and overseers? Amen. Thank you. Do you commit yourself this morning to support, to encourage, and to pray for these two men as well as the rest of our elders? Thank you. Do you agree this morning to respond to their leadership as they seek to lead and encourage others into service in our church family? All right. So we want to pray together for these guys. Do we have a microphone that's hot up here? I know mine's hot, but uh, is that one good? Will be returns it on. Okay. Uh-oh. Check it to wireless. <laughs> it travels further, so that's probably a good idea. Dave, I'm going to have you pray and then pass the mic to Ron. And let's lay hands on these men and... Suggest just as a symbol of your agreement and commitment, you might just extend your hands this morning if you're comfortable doing that and just add your your blessing and your agreement to what we're going to pray about and share together this morning. Father God, we're thankful for these two uh, for these two men here that are here this morning. We're just thankful for their lives, for their dedication, for their love for you, uh, for their uh, willingness to serve, for their willingness to go beyond uh, the doors of this church, for their willingness to be helpful, for their willingness to share, uh, and for their heart for the broken, the lost, and, and the unsaved. Lord, we're thankful that they're coming on board to the uh, to leadership roles here. Uh, we're thankful for their dedication. We're thankful for their families. So I just pray a special blessing on both Vet and on Eddie and on their families uh, as they uh, move into this new leadership role, which I know will be a blessing to the to the members of this church, and it'll be a glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we have right here, right now. We're laying our hands on uh, Mr. Vet and Mr. Eddie. That's not an easy thing or a light thing. Uh, if you've asked us to be, be sure about that, Father. And the congregation is doing so also, Father. We know the character of both of these men as they've been with us for over a dozen years, Father. 
I remember the first day that both of them came in, Father. Uh, Mr. Eddie smiling in the Sunday school class and Mr. Vett not really knowing where his place was yet, but I welcomed him in um, because we had him on our prayer list, Father. His name was on the board for many years. We were praying because his wife asked us to. I watched him grow, Father, in the nature and nurture of Jesus. I pray, Father God, that um, a, a greatest among their gifts is the agape love that you have given and poured into their hearts, Father. They truly love the folks here. And they want to serve you, Jesus, with all their heart. So, without reservation, we commend them to you, Father. Mm -hmm. I'm asking for your anointing on them, that as they serve you, Father, they'll know to do right. They'll know what's right and to, to, to do it, Father. I pray for their protection, Father, as um, sometimes the wolves do attack. And I just pray that through the years of their service, Father, that they'll continue to love you more and love each and every member of this congregation and their families. Sometimes they're not even here, Father. I know that your love and your anointing uh, is free will, Father. And you've chosen them before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. We know that according to your word in Ephesians 1, 4. So it's with great honor that I ask you, Mr. Beth and Mr. Penny, I ask you to accept them into the eldership, Father, and that they will provide what you ask them to provide to the sheep. We love you, Father God. Know that we love you, Jesus God. And know that we love you, Holy Spirit God, in Jesus' name. Lord, it is our privilege this morning to acknowledge the work that you've been up to, the work that you've been about. You've been at work in in Eddie and in Beth's lives for, for many, many years. You've drawn them joyfully and passionately into roles of service, roles of ministry, And uh, I'm just grateful for what I observe. I'm grateful for those qualities in their lives that I observe. I I appreciate their humility. I appreciate their their reluctance to even embrace this role, apart from your encouragement and your spirit's promptings. And so I just am so grateful and grateful that the work you're about, uh, you're going to continue in the lives of others in our church. And there's going to be other uh, mornings of significance where others will be also placed into service as elders. and Other mornings where others might be placed into service as deacons. And so we're, we're grateful, Lord, for a serving church. We're grateful for serving hearts. And I pray that as we commend uh, Eddie and Vet to you this morning, um, that you would cause your church to respond with joy, with thanksgiving, with celebration. Uh, Give us hearts, Lord, to follow you as leaders. Give us hearts as elders to follow your leading and your directing. And then give others hearts uh, to follow. We've said many times that our ambition in our church is that we would be developing mature disciples with hearts for you, hearts for each other, hearts for a lost world. And so we pray that you would multiply that in our midst for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Love your brothers.
All right, I know the worship team has the final song, so I'll invite them to come just now and uh, lead us in that song, and we'll conclude our time together. You've been sitting for a while, so if you'd like to stand, feel free to do that as, as they come and lead us. Go ahead and stand up. And I understand that, Eddie, you came to this church by a light bulb. Was it a light bulb? It was a a light bulb and a water bottle. So how many of you guys have ever done any kind of like outreach anywhere in the whole entire world? Anybody? Anybody? Come on, Eric. I know you went on OB at least one time. (laughs) He's like, okay, all right, okay. So you never know when you plant that seed, you know, where it's going to go. So that's exciting always. I'm stalling just a little bit because the girls are singing the the first verse. So, and Wesley's hustling right now to get them. So, um, what's that? They usually wait for you. Yeah, we get to wait for them. So, anyway, so thank you for that. So, we'll, we'll, how about we just play the music? Oh, here they come. They, They're running. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come. <coughs> Pastor Roy said that she wanted to hear the girls, and we planned it. And so, here they are. Here they are. Here they are. Okay, here we go.
We have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for. And at the top of the list is the cross, right? Thankful, thankful for the cross. And so as you go this week into the week ahead of you, continue to be thankful for the cross. But be reminded that we have a mission to introduce others to the Jesus that died on the cross. So go in the service and admonition of the Lord and serve Him faithfully in the week ahead. Have a great week.